Over the past year, a number of governmental agencies, including National Institute of Drug Abuse and the NIAAA, have taken steps to improve and expand access to care for the addicted patient. How has science informed these governmental changes? And what does this mean to the rest of us practicing medicine in this country? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Harold Urschel. Dr. Urschel is a board-certified addiction psychiatrist practicing in Dallas, Texas. He is the founder and CEO of the Urschel Recovery Science Institute in Dallas. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Dr. Urschel, are we starting to see a trend among the medical community and government organizations to change the way in which addiction is viewed and possibly even treated? I think definitely through this, the new outcomes of scientific studies and the increased emphasis on you know, hundreds of millions of dollars putting into addiction research, we're actually seeing a major change in the government's uh, approach to addiction. Recently, I think maybe it was last year or the year before, the NIAAA, which is the, the NIH Institute that addresses alcoholism, came out with a statement saying that basically if a medication's been approved for alcoholism, you should use it in concert with talking therapy or behavioral therapy because it's been shown to be quite effective. And for the government to come out and make a statement like that is huge. They, you know, they don't like to make broad sweeping statements just because they're always worried about their own liability and lawsuits, but the fact that they make it shows the evidence must be, uh, even in their mind, quite persuasive. How is this happening? What basis are they using to make these changes? Well, you know, I think it's mainly through research, and, and we've been studying the brain very aggressively and learning about all the new pathways and the different neurotransmitter systems in the brain over the last several decades. We still have infinite amount of new data and knowledge to learn, but because we've, we've learned so much recently, we've now been able to find certain pharmacological agents or combinations of agents that really seem to make a big difference. In alcoholism alone, there's four FDA-approved medications. Um, there's a, several medications approved in the narcotic area. And there's even now uh, some early research showing that we now have some very effective treatments pharmacologically in stimulants such as methamphetamine and cocaine. Well, certainly, at least in the West, where I practice, methamphetamine is probably second to alcohol in terms of the incidence of problems and certainly the press that it gets. Um, what is new in the treatment of methamphetamine dependence? Well, um, I did a study recently with a new treatment protocol for methamphetamine called Prometa, P-R-O-M-E-T-A. And Prometa is a combination of certain medications, talking therapy, and nutritional supplements and education that when you deliver all three of these to a methamphetamine addict, you get significantly positive results, much better than I would have ever dreamed possible with this population. So what's the science behind this? The science behind it is we think that the Prometa combination of medications and the nutrition is actually changing the GABA system. That we're, 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 There's some animal data that was done by uh, Dr. Cheryl Smith up in New York that showed that in the GABA receptor, there's a bunch of different subunits, and use of alcohol, cocaine, and meth changed the configuration of one of those subunits so that your normal internal GABA molecules that your body makes don't work. So basically, the use of drugs and alcohol or the use of drugs in the withdrawal from them uh, shuts down your ability to calm down because your GABA system is the part that calms you down. If you have drugs or alcohol problem and then you try and get sober and you can't calm down, basically what that means is your antithesis system for GABA is called glutamate, and glutamate is like the accelerator in your car. GABA is like the brakes in your car. And so basically the brakes are hurt by the drugs and alcohol, 
and the accelerator system is basically the accelerator is floored. That's why you're getting the withdrawal where you, you can't sleep, you have agitation, irritability, you can't concentrate, you can't focus, your heart rate goes up, et cetera, et cetera. So you have, all, you have the accelerator in your car flooring the car, but you can't stop, and that's why people continue to relapse because it's no fun and it's very scary to be in a car that's out of control. The Prometa seems to very quickly, within a couple, three days, reformat the GABA receptor and put it back in its normal configuration so that your own internal GABA molecules can activate it when you need to. And clinically, that's what we saw. We did a, I did a study on 50 patients for chronic daily users of methamphetamine, and it was four weeks of the, pro, the Prometa treatment. It's a four-week treatment, and we followed them for eight weeks afterwards. And we found that over 80% of the patients got better. Uh, they, did, they had some significant clinical improvement, including decreased craving, significantly decreased use, and improvement of their memory and thinking components, all of which would lend itself for them to better participate in outpatient treatment. And this was a placebo-controlled trial? It was an open-label trial. The placebo-controlled trials are going on as we speak. But the fact that it was four weeks of treatment followed by eight weeks of follow-up, if it was just a placebo, the chances are they would have, during those eight weeks after the treatment was over, uh, you would have seen the symptoms return. But again, the placebo-controlled trials are ongoing right now. Um, and the fact that it also enhanced the neurocognitive functions of these patients, uh, we're also in the placebo-controlled trials, we're actually adding a very uh, in-depth neurocognitive assessment battery so that we can find out, you know, how well are these people doing. Now, is this available by prescription? How do we get a hold of Prometa? It's delivered through a network of licensed physicians. It's not just a medicine. It's a combination of medicines. It's an infusion-based system, so it's an IV for part of it, oral medicines, plus vitamins, plus talking therapy. And it's this combination package that's what's so effective. All the medicines in the protocol have been tried individually, and none of them have really worked for methamphetamine or cocaine. But working together, putting them all together in combination with this integrative approach, we've got really good results. In my study, several criminal justice trials, one in Washington State, one in um, Indiana, uh, were very positive uh, as far as clients that were in drug courts, did remarkably well. Even in 180 days, they had 92% had free uh, cocaine-free or methamphetamine-free urines, which is huge. And so the, the thing is methamphetamine and cocaine, like you said, you have methamphetamine, at least, at least by, from the press, and what the press reports to us seems to be very prevalent right now, we don't have any treatments except for the Prometa. And from my study, we know that it's safe. We know that it's delivered in an outpatient setting. The side effects are minimal, uh, if any. And so we also know that it has an 80% chance of really helping the patient along a, a variety of different variables. Since we have nothing else, that's why I choose to recommend to my patients that they consider at least looking into that. And, and the patients that do get it are very, very, very pleased. They are amazed at how fast it works. Dr. Urschel, I recently went to the APA, the American Psychiatric Association meeting. Representative Patrick Kennedy spoke there about alcoholism. What do you think is the significance of politicians like Kennedy becoming more vocal about his own experience with addiction and how that might impact both society and the medical community? I think it's very beneficial. I think the more people that can come out and say, hey, I've had an addiction problem, this is a medical illness, uh, it's treatable, I've done well, kind of be seen as beacons of hope or role models of how you, know, how you can get treatment and you can get help. The fact that the politicians are getting involved may also be something contribute a major advance forward in the field to try and get the uh, concept of parity on the insurance side to get if substance abuse benefits could be categorized as having parity with, with the medical benefits. Like I think the psychiatric benefits have been given parity, but not the substance abuse benefits. And the substance abuse disease is much more deadly and costly for the society than any of the psychiatric disorders. So there's no reason they shouldn't have parity as well. 
What else is going on in terms of addiction research other than uh, the medications that you've already discussed? Well, I think something else that, that's really important, I don't know how much I've talked about, is for alcoholism, there's a medication out there called Vivitrol, which is an injection uh, of naltrexone, which the oral naltrexone is very effective in treating alcoholism, but the problem is it's so, it works so well, people stop it. Well, the Vivitrol is an injection you can get that actually causes the medication to be delivered daily on uh, very small dosages, and the patient can't stop it for 30 days. Right, but these have been out. What, what's happening on the horizon now? On the horizon, um, I think what I was just mentioning earlier, I think we're in some double-blind placebo-controlled trials of the Prometa approach for alcoholism. Prometa, as I was saying earlier, works for alcohol, cocaine, and meth. I, I did my study in meth, but there's several double-blind trials in alcohol. I think that's going to be a very positive benefit because not only does it help with the cravings and the decreased use, but it also helps with the neurocognitive benefits. And more, more and more pharmaceutical companies are starting to uh, look at novel agents or current agents looking for those uh, to see if they have a, an additional benefit in treating alcoholism or drug addiction. So in my research company, we have two or three other treatments going on some sponsored by the National Institute of Drug Abuse, some sponsored by the National Institute of Alcoholism, and some by the pharmaceutical companies themselves. So I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon. Can you fill us in on what some of those compounds might be? The compounds that I've seen, none of them have come nearly as effective as the Vivitrol, Camprol, Prometa for alcohol, but other compounds, there's looking at Topamax, which is an anti-seizure medicine, uh, Zofran, which is the nausea pill. Those are the other two real aggressively researched medications for alcoholism, but the data just hasn't been that real positive. You know, one other thing I'd just like to say about regarding this is that the fact that you have this, this injection, this the Vivitrol for alcoholism, I think that alone is, is very paradigm changing. I think that the fact that if people think that alcoholism is a, is a sin and you go to your physician, your primary care doctor who can prescribe Vivitrol and they put you on Vivitrol and they give you a shot, you go home and the people that thought you were just a bad sinner and that's why you were drinking all of a sudden, something kind of gets through their, their fogginess and in in their perception of alcoholism and say, you don't treat a sin with a shot. You, you treat a sin by going to church. And so I think, you know, very similar to what Viagra did for erectile dysfunction or Prozac did for depression as far as opening people's awareness that this is a medical illness, I think Vivitrol will probably do that. And I, I hope so because not only will you then get more research dollars into the field because people you know, don't want to really study a sin, but they would study a, a major medical illness, which alcoholism is, but you also might... Um, get a lot more advocates and treatment resources to be able to treat it. So really, there's a there's a sea change in the entire field of addiction medicine right now. The entire field of addiction medicine and the whole perception of the public as this comes out. I mean, you know, if you've seen, you know, uh, you got Lindsay Lohan in the press, you got Paris Hilton. Um, you have all these people that, that always seems to be chronic problems and nobody's really getting treated or effective. Well, the problem is most of those people are not on the medications. They're just going to residential programs that don't prescribe medication, and they may only have a 30 or 40% chance of success. When you actually add the medications, pretty soon these people are going to get better. Uh, you're going to go, wow, this really is treatable. So then all of a sudden you say, well, look, gosh, if Lindsay Lohan can get better, you know, maybe I can too. So why wouldn't these treatment programs use the medicines? Because the people that run the treatment, it's a really sad fact. I don't know why it doesn't make any sense to me. What I hypothesize is that they just, they don't understand uh, that, that addiction is a chronic medical illness. They don't understand this analogy of, of alcoholism. It's very similar to diabetes where you need to change your lifestyle and make behavioral modifications, but you also need medications such as insulin. A lot of the bigger treatment programs in the country, they're run by people that are in recovery that when they went through recovery, they didn't use medications. And so they have this very unfounded fear that if you get on any medicines, you might get addicted to them, even if they're not addicting. In the past, 
you know, people in AA, you know, there's a, there's a lot of in addiction. There's a lot of dual diagnosis. That means where you have an, alcohol, an addiction to alcohol or cocaine or something, and maybe a psychiatric disorder or manic depression. And so if you went to AA in the past, you know, maybe within five or ten years ago, the AA members in the group would say, you need to get off your lithium or your Prozac. Those are medicines. You shouldn't be on any medicines. And then once they got off them and the patient had a relapse or the patient got psychotic on them, then the AA members said, well, maybe that's not really the right thinking. I think now that we have medications and addiction, um, I think pretty soon, hopefully within at least the next year to two years, these treatment programs that have a good national reputation will understand that it's really very, very important to integrate pharmacotherapy in addiction just like it is for any other chronic medical illness. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Harold Urschel. We have been discussing governmental and scientific trends in addiction treatment. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.